Garbled Hands is a collection of unscripted conversations about noteworthy stories that occur around us every day. Here is your host, Nick Kroll. Troubled Hands, Episode 7. Ever since I started this project, I had a bunch of friends uh, on rare occasions just reach out and give me a phone call or a text saying, hey, I, I know this person and they have an interesting situation. This is the case of how I found out about Kelly Frazier. Kelly had a unique experience with cancer. She took the time to explain it over the phone and said, well, it was really just kind of a, a crazy path, not a usual chain of events that alert you to cancer detection. But she was very grateful for her tremendous support system. She spoke about you know, the work of her husband and her family. She's got four kids, her parents. She also spoke a lot about her coworkers and how they were all very supportive. It didn't sound like she was the type that wanted to sit on the sidelines when she was getting better. She sounded like she was very adamant about being a part of her kids' sporting events and, you know, music events. And she also joked around about how her work ethic kind of made her busy even when she was going through treatment. One of the things that I also thought was very strange was how much she spoke about luck. It was more of a I was lucky to have these people. I was lucky to have this detection. There was a lot of gratitude there. She was a very happy person, very positive. I think that that, from what I could tell, definitely played a role. The story will go into what caused this curiosity. She talks about BRCA gene testing, looking for the signs, reminding us to the importance of early detection, paying attention to the details when you, when you do get the bad news, and then also leaning on people that are within the community. There's a lot of people that know what it's like you know if you haven't had cancer and you're telling somebody else hey this i'm sorry you know let me know if you need anything it doesn't do the same i imagine for people that are able to say i've been there this is what i'm going through this is what i have been through a sense for that and how important these communities are people that are fighting and recovering we did have a unusually loud fly that interrupted us. It was just kind of funny. Memphis did his usual thing. He was talking trash to squirrels in the yard, so we had to record a couple times. And then there was also a bird that got caught in my dryer vent in my utility room, so that was fun. I did get a picture. There is a bird sitting on this bowl in a, in a photo. I'll post that, too. Anyways, thank you so much, Kelly, for taking the time to tell your story. I hope that if anybody else is in this state of question they're curious or maybe they're just starting this unknown journey you're not alone so reach out there's a lot of communities that are out there there's going to be a pub crawl in crystal lake illinois and it's for the uh there's a breast cancer fundraiser that's uh going to hit a lot of the, the area bars and there's also a uh, upcoming run on the 22nd so we'll have a lot of those details on the instagram and we're probably going to have one more interview in honor of uh breast cancer awareness. So anyways, thank you, Kelly, so much. This is, it's just ironic. If that was your real last name for probably about 30 <laughs> seconds, I'm like, there's no, is, is this just a strange pronunciation that I, and it took me probably 30 seconds to be like, no, dummy, that's just a nickname. Don't, yeah. Yeah. So I have people like that in my phone, like where I know them from. So like Lisa's, Lisa CLB. So then I know that it, ah, okay, okay. I can, Okay, this is who I'm thinking of. <laughs> yeah. I, I have individuals that are in the phone that I think I have, like, you know, 
Do you know them from car stuff? Do you know them from work? So yeah, yeah same thing. All right, so why don't you introduce yourself? My name's Kelly. Um, I grew up in Crystal Lake most of my life, pretty much 36 years mm-hmm. of it here in Crystal Lake. Mm-hmm. Um, went to South. Home. Yeah, definitely home. Still live here. I've got four kids ranging from 17 to 7. It's a pretty big span. Yeah, they keep us busy. <laughs> <laughs> all their extracurricular and sports and driving around yeah you do a lot of driving yes well the older three are uh, my stepkids so we're grateful now that the one is driving mm-hmm. so she can drive them to and from so you're kind of like hey why don't you uh take your brother or sister to this location for me yeah nice. that or like well right now she's not around she does uh competitive high school marching band oh so she's actually at a competition today oh okay okay what does she play? She plays the vibes. The vibes. It's kind of like the bell, big long bell things that oh, they have. Oh, okay. So she doesn't march. So they, she's in like the, they call it a front ensemble. So mm. they do that. So she's front and center. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. She but, enjoys it. Yeah. So you guys are just constantly busy running around. Yeah. And all that good stuff. Yes. This fall, we took a little break from the sports with everything else. Just. Mm-hmm. Kind of needed to catch up catch up and rest but i'm kind of learning that my the seven-year-old needed that yeah it keeps him busy keeps him out of trouble yeah so now <laughs> you're you're previewing the next step of getting out there and getting busy again yes so why are we here today what we're going to talk about we're going to talk about uh my cancer journey and how it all started from preventative to oh you actually have it mm, okay it started, you said, when you when you found out that your mother yes. had cancer. So I yeah. guess let's start there. Yeah. So she ended up calling me in July, saying we needed to, we needed to come over and have dinner. My brother's work schedule. We ended up just doing it on a Monday when I went to pick up my kid with her, and she informed us that she had breast cancer. And you said she was kind of chipper and just giddy. Yeah. And- like it was odd first when she called i'm like are my parents getting divorced what is going on and then they're like no no no, we're fine everything's fine everything's good Mm -hmm. so i'm like all right what could it be that she's like demanding that we're here and it's got to be me and my brother at least the two of us together and a little bit out of character yeah you're just kind of like something's not right something was up good bad and come to find out it was cancer cancer Okay, so she had breast cancer. Yes, she was HER2 positive. Okay. Which, with technology, now she was able to survive it. Ten years ago, it would have been a death sentence. Yeah. But she's still here. That's great. Cancer-free. So what you ended up encountering then was that there's something called the BRCA testing. Yes. BRCA gene testing. And they were kind of... You said that the doctor that was working with her. Yes. Her breast cancer surgeon mm-hmm. um, t- tested her because her grandma, so my great grandma, ended up having breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And through this, we learned like Easter, my great grandma was Easter European Jewish. And a lot of the genes passed down through the bloodline. Mm-hmm. So he was insistent on her getting the genetic testing for the BRCA gene. Mm-hmm. She came back 
positive for BRCA2. And that gives like a little bit of a path of like, hey, if it's genetic, then just kind of alert your daughter and your son. Yes. So she, through that, um, we were, through her program, we were able to get tested through that for free to see if we had it. Um, and it's just a simple blood test. How long do you have to wait to get the results from BRCA gene testing? I think I waited like a month because okay. they have to send it out and then wait for the labs to come back. And so your mom's going through all this. Um, she's getting, uh, did she had radiation? She had a surgery and radiation. Yeah, she started with chemo. And so she did, started in August and ended right around Thanksgiving that mm-hmm. year of her every three weeks. Mm-hmm. And then she had one chemo drug that was a year long. Okay. So she did that after the three weeks, every three weeks, but be, during that she was doing it once a week. Okay. And then she did her double mastectomy and then she did radiation as well. Okay. And how did that stack up? In that stack up, when did you decide that you were going to go and have your BRCA testing? Kind of right away. Right when she came back positive, I'm like, she was like, go. Call, go. Yeah. Get yourself checked. My dad pushed on it because once you know, now there's ways take to take action and prevent as much as possible. Do you think that that's the normal response? Most people get get at it right away, or do you think a lot of people drag their feet? I think a lot of people drag their feet. Like when I just saw my breast cancer surgeon the other day, he had a friend who was BRCA positive and her sister refused to get tested, just didn't want to. How do these results read? All I know is the breast cancer surgeon called me from his cell phone and said, I'm sorry that I'm doing this over the phone and not in person. I didn't get to meet you yet, but you're BRCA2 positive as well. Don't stress over this. Now knowing this, we can take steps to help prevent and reduce your risks of getting cancer. Mm -hmm. And then I made an appointment to go in and see them in person, kind of go more in detail on what all that entailed. What's the next step? When I came in there, we had to discuss what my options are for prevention, what I wanted to do. He gave me a lot and he's a great doctor, but he throws so much at you. Sometimes you just sit there and you blank stare at him. Do you think that you were also a little bit overwhelmed with the, just the general I think idea? I was, but like my husband was there with me as well. So a lot of the informative appointments, I had him there mm-hmm. to be a second set of ears. Just look at this, listen for details. And, and yeah. Pick up what I don't pick up and all of that. Because you're taking notes. Yeah. So not only was it with the BRCA2, do I run the risk for breast cancer, which was at that point, he said I had an 80% chance of getting breast cancer. But I also run a 50% chance risk of ovarian. And those are only two he gave me the percentages on. But there's pancreatic cancer I now have to watch out for. Uh, skin cancer. You said that your brother also is probably, he took the test and he had some yes. results as well? Yes, he is also BRCA2 positive. Um, and so his big her concern for guys, yes, guys can get breast cancer, mm-hmm. but it's also prostate cancer. Mm-hmm. So he's younger than me. I just turned 40 last week. So we're now able to screen and check for it sooner than we normally would. And normally that medical professionals would have you. Mm-hmm. And so during that meeting, um, obviously he didn't go into what the man, like what I need to do for the male stuff. Cause that doesn't play for me. But he go, told me I had my options. He goes double mastectomy, 
that will reduce your risks to only 10 to 5 to 10% of getting breast cancer. So for doing that, and that's where he focused more on is I could go on a medicine called tramoxifen where you can be on that for five years and that's supposed to eliminate. If I don't want to do anything with this if surgery or I don't want to do the medicine, every six months do like mammograms and ultrasounds and MRIs. At that time, because my mom was still going through all her cancer stuff, surgery was out of the question because let's get through what she was doing. Yeah. So he's like, well, I'd like you to go on tramoxifen. We have to see an oncologist for that. So he's like, are you okay seeing the same oncologist I sent your mom to? And I said, yeah, Absolutely. keep it all in the family. They know what's going, the family history. So it's just less explanation. Makes a little more sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, um, but I did end up putting all that off. And he also wanted me to get screened for ovarian cancer by doing ultrasounds. He's like, gave me the information, go in. Well, I didn't end up going in until January. Okay. I don't know what made me put it off, but I'm thinking deep back in the back of my head. I just wasn't ready. Yeah. You were delaying. You yeah. said you had, you had your mom, you had your kids. So exactly. you're just kind of like, well, and at the time it wasn't necessarily, it didn't manifest as cancer. It was just a threat. Yes. So you didn't, you didn't know how to size it up. Like, oh, maybe I'll have to face this in the next couple of years or months or whatever. But then you yeah. ended up going. Yeah. So then I got put on the tramoxifen and I started doing the ovarian scans and all of that. And then throughout that process, me and my husband had talked and he goes, I think you should do the double mastectomy because. The math. Math. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. It does that. Um, but he goes, but it's your body, your choice. He mm-hmm. goes, I'll support you in what you want, but this is what I think you should do. And ultimately, ultimately I did do the double mastectomy. Mm-hmm. Went in this past September, a year ago, and said, let's do it. And we got it all scheduled. Okay. So you were saying that when you were, before you had the double mastectomy, you said you had an experience with tamoxifen. Like, did you, did that have anything to do with the decision? Is this one of the reasons why he spoke up? Did he notice that you were fatigued and just tired and it was just, it didn't make sense to just maintain with medication anymore? Maybe. And like my mom did not like that medicine because of stuff and things that she heard from people who had been on it and all of that. She was encouraging me to get off of it. And I'm like... I'm just doing it for now. Yeah. Like, let's do it. Like, we had discussed, I think, before maybe I got on tramoxifen to do the surgery, but... It wasn't final. It was it, it was maybe... Final yeah. and all of that, but like, all right, let's think about it. Let, let me at least start doing the medicine that he wanted me to do. And I just didn't like how I felt on it. So I think that... It just kind of brought up the conversation. And then you just yeah. said, let's go for it. Yeah. I did that on January 10th of this year. Um, Everything went good. We were also going to remove my fallopian tubes at the same time um, because that just, you can get, I guess, get ovarian cancer in your fallopian tube. So let's reduce that. They didn't want to put me in menopause due to my age Mm -hmm. and all that. And that wasn't going to put me in menopause. So we're like, all right, cool. While during that procedure, while my OB was working on removing the uh, fallopian tubes, she went to like inflate the uterus to help remove. With the procedure. With the procedure to remove the fallopian tubes. And she ended up feeling a rough spot on the vaginal wall and just decided to take a little biopsy just to be safe and 
to it. And she's like, oh, it's nothing. All three of the doctors looked at the tissue and said, oh, it's going to be nothing. It's nothing it's to worry about. Though. Yeah. January 13th, just after I got home from my post-op with the plastic surgeon, she calls me and tells me it came back positive for malignancy. Friday the 13th. Yeah. You're having McAllister's Deli. Yep. Just eating a sandwich. Eating a sandwich, a trying call. to rest and get told, get a call saying, I'm sorry, we we're trying to prevent, but you already have cancer. So you just got out of this surgery that was a precautionary yes. measure. And thinking that, all right, this is the right measure for longevity, for my family. Yeah. And you think you're getting out in front of it, but it, it actually be, it, that action turns into being what... I- Got that that we found my cancer. I had no symptoms of it. And they're all shocked that I had no symptoms, all the doctors that I had. So who knows how long it would have gone undetected for. And thank God for my OB that she found it and decided to biopsy it. She could have been like, oh, that's like nothing. No big deal. It's not what we're here for. And then it wouldn't have been uh, caught or detected. Correct. So you have, uh, you said that you kind of, not necessarily blacked out, but you just kind of like shut down for a little bit. Yeah. Like my brain shut down. She gave me doctor options to go see because I had to now see a OB oncologist. She gave me the name of the two in the area, more Chicagoland, like one's based at Rush and one was based at Northwestern. Mm-hmm. The one for Rush works with Advocate. So I went with Advocate because I was already going through Advocate. So let's keep it all in one hospital system. Mm-hmm. Um, she ended up giving me her personal cell phone number. So if I had questions or needed to talk or anything to reach out to her. And then at that point I was just done. I couldn't take any more. Couldn't get the doctor's information. I was just, I think shock. Yeah. You're, mi- you're mid recovery. You got out of a pretty drastic surgery. Yeah. And you just got all this heavy information. I think you said you earlier, you said that you gave your, phone to your husband yeah i gave him the phone to my husband at that point and had him just complete complete the phone call and get all the numbers and the doctor's information and all of that and how to proceed so this is friday the 13th and then as you were saying before because you were exposed to how your mom went through it you had a little bit of a benchmark in the sense of this is how you go through cancer so your mom she took immediate action yeah she was in cancer well from the time she was diagnosed so i think the time she started her treatment was about three weeks okay so for you it was a bit longer yeah i didn't start treatment until the end of march wow until the end of march yes is when i started treatment i couldn't get in to the ob oncologist originally we went to schedule because there's not many in the area um when i called the office they weren't going to get me in until like the end of february and is, is, was it strictly because there wasn't many doctors that are specialists in that area? That's what I'm seeing. Like, I haven't seen any from when I looked up. There's Northwestern or Rush. And that was it? That was it. And since they were so backed up, you were pushed back. To like, yeah. Where your mom had three weeks, you had two and a half months. Yes. And so, luckily, my plastic surgeon is good friends with my OB oncologist, called her up personally and helped push up the appointment. So I got in early February instead of end March. of February. Yeah. Yeah. And wow. then we had more procedures and screenings and all of that 
to go through before I could start. Yeah. You said that there was a series of seven surgeries total to get to the point where you're yes. at right now. Yes. I've had seven surgeries, um, ranging from my OB or my ovaries being taken out. You can still run, you can still get ovarian cancer on them after your treatment, but we can't screen for it because they're going to be hard. The effect of the treatment would then change their characteristic and it would be yes. hard to detect. Yes. So. so, and she goes, it's an easier procedure to remove the ovaries before they're hardened. Okay. So that was my next surgery. After that, I went and started getting ready to start my chemo, um, radiation, and all of that. And come to find out, I needed to have an MRI for the radiations, the two, because I did have two different types. And with the expanders in, you can't have an MRI. So then... You said they had magnetic uh, characteristics? Yes. So So with the expanders, how they fill them is they literally, it's magnetic at the top where they drop, put a magnet on your skin to find it and to stick the needle in. It's through like a magnetic port. Okay. So obviously, MRI machine and having magnets in your chest... Not a good idea. Not a good idea. So they have to remove them before you do the MRI. Yes. So then I had my expanders removed and the implants that I have in now put in. Now, this wasn't where I wanted to be with my reconstruction. Mm -hmm. So. But it wasn't on the priority list as much. It was kind of like you just need to act fast. Yes. Need to act fast. Let's get this going. And then two weeks after that, I had the surgery to put the chemo port in. Mm-hmm. which unfortunately got put in an awkward place. It was put closer to my armpit than up more in the center of the chest. So were you still irritated in that area when they put it in? Like, did you feel it more? Or would you say that it was just kind of, I just felt it more when I moved and did stuff because of the location, location, just, like you move your arms and that skin moves so you can s- see. Yeah. yeah. So did that. I started chemo the Monday after I had the chemo port put in. That was on a Friday. And then I did all my treatment and the chemo and the external radiation. And then I had to have another surgery for the internal radiation where they had to put a plastic stunt in that they were going to stitch into my like uh, cervix to help hold it in place to treat with the internal radiation called brachytherapy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had a C-section with my son and that scar tissue was so thick that they couldn't get the stent in all the way. And was that the surgery that was considered unsuccessful? Yes. Okay. So we couldn't do that. So then we had to revamp the type of brachytherapy I was going to do. Okay. So if I wanted to do one where they put like 20 to hundred like needles in, great, do that. And then I'm in the hospital for that time. Or I could do a hysterectomy. Mm. I opted for the hysterectomy. Having the needles in did not sound pleasant. <laughs> it <laughs> sounded me. like a pain. No, I mean, I, I think at this point, I mean, were you, by the time you get to your sixth surgery, are you, are you losing steam? Are you feeling like frustrated? Hurt? I mean, you're a pretty upbeat yeah. person from the time that I've started speaking with you. So I, I but I imagine since I didn't get to kind of witness mid battle. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah, when I got, I remember after that uh, surgery where they tried to put the stunt in, when the recovery room nurse said, yeah, they, they couldn't do it. I'm like, you're lying. Mm-hmm. 
like, no. And my husband's like, no, they did. And I broke down when I got to that room because I'm like, this was supposed to be the easy part of my journey. This was supposed to be what from there on was going to go easy to turn out, end up having fallopian tubes and ovaries and then a full hysterectomy in three separate surgeries. There's a lot of loss and just change yeah. to your body. And then you're just thinking, well, this one surgery is just supposed to be the insertion of a tube. Yeah. So that you thought, oh, that'll be no problem. Yeah. And then no big turns- deal. Let's get it done. Do that. And now, and then when I got that news, I didn't know what my treatment was going to look like and what the next step was. Yeah. We had to pause my treatment because I was supposed to have that in and start treatment two days later. Mm-hmm. And obviously we couldn't do that. And then the last surgery was just the removal of the chemo port after the hysterectomy. Okay. And then you also said that you have a, another surgery coming. Yes. That is what, three weeks from yesterday. Um, from I'm going to get the final set of implants in to get the reconstruction to where I wanted it to be. Okay. And I figure if I have to go through all this, I want to look and have my body the way I want it. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. And it's just... It, with, will that be the final surgery that you have to endure? Possibly not. Possibly not. Okay. Yeah. It depends on how those settle okay. to determine if I have to have another surgery that would include liposuction to raise things and make things level and even. Earlier we were talking about how just the compassion of people. Yeah. You could tell that it was a big factor in how you responded. Like I said, from the beginning, when I got the news, my OB gave me her cell phone number to text her. Um, when I got the news and was trying to process everything, and I called my plastic surgeon's office to talk to his nurse practitioner to see, is that going to change anything? She's like, we heard, we know, no, don't worry about this. Here, give me your cell phone number here's my cell phone number. If you ha- need anything, mm-hmm. I'm here for you. Um, one of my radiologists, good doctor, but not the best with, I think, compassion and understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause she's the reason why she pushed for the MRI and didn't explain to me why I had to have the MRI. Mm-hmm. And I was frustrated. You, I wanted, you wanted to have the same kind of, care that you were accustomed to where somebody would explain you have the capacity to understand yeah come on talk to me so i know what's going on and then this woman just kind of throws it at you with zero explanation yeah and saying i'm not going to treat you like i'm not doing it straight up straight up so it was one of those i'm like okay like why and you want this mri but i know my body at one point i remember telling her this if they were to do and just shove in what I wanted because I wasn't for the reconstruction mm-hmm. to do it. He goes, and it's going to be an extremely rough recovery in your body. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I know my body, my body will shut down between trying to recover from that. And now I'm in cancer treatment. I sometimes felt like she didn't fully get that. She wasn't giving you key information. She wasn't reciprocal to what you were saying. Correct. So... Yeah. And all that. Um, but like the plastic surgeon, he had come in and was very apologetic that I had to go through all of this. And he looked at me and said, don't worry about your reconstruction. I got you covered on that. Go eat your cancer. Listening to you and letting you, your words kind of 
be a part of their decision-making yeah. process was extremely uh, needed for you. Yeah. Just for your sanity. Yeah. Because you were down to the wire and you're like, look, man, just give me something to work with. Yeah. And that person that just wasn't willing to give you that that Her- voice, it just rubbed yeah. you the wrong way. Yeah. Like, I didn't feel that she heard me or cared with it. So, like, that's where I'm just like... She could have been the best doctor in the world. It just wouldn't have helped for yeah. you to move forward and give you that energy. Yeah. I did end up staying with her for my radiation, more or less... I didn't want to start the process all over again. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to delay stuff. I just wanted to get this going. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me. So why don't you explain how chemo and radiation worked for you in tandem? Okay. So the chemo drug I was put on is called cisplatin. And what it does is it actually makes your body more radiation. So my type of cancer, radiation is what is the main treatment. This just made my body absorb the radiation better. Oh, so it's an absorbency assistant. Yes. Okay. So it helped with all of that. So I would do, I had uh, five rounds of that. I would, I had did that on Mondays and then I did uh, radiation during those five weeks that I did chemo. I did radiation Monday through Friday. Okay. Every day. And how, you said it was a very specific form of radiation. Yes. It was, it was almost pinpoint accuracy. Yes. How did was. that work? So before I started, um, they had to do what was called radiation mapping. So I, they make a mold. So I, and I had to have that mold um, all through radiation because if I moved a millimeter, the radiation lasers could hit my bladder, my pancreas. What was the mold of, of? Was it just your hips? Was it your back? It was from my knees down. Holds my feet and legs from the knees down. So, so like, you were in a certain position, anchored at your feet, flat on your back Uh and then it knows you're not gonna be able to move from this position and it basically can target yeah so like the nurses would come in so they did the radiation mapping and then they put originally on sharpies they just marked black axes and put stickers over it Uh, on your on your skin on my skin and that i would they wanted me to keep the entire five weeks so like don't when you take a shower don't lose these spots yes could not shower like and scrub them off they had to stay like that for five weeks Yes. So in an initial, they put the first set on before I had to have that surgery to remove the expanders. And when I was having all that, I was a little mad. I removed them. You just took them off. I just took them off because I didn't know what was going on. I was thinking, all right, they're going to have to redo this whole mapping. And you well, didn't realize how much impact. They didn't need to. So they just redid the other Sharpies again when I went for my first treatment. Mm-hmm. I'm like, nope. Because that was like three, three and a half weeks later. Okay. From when they had it, they're like, yeah, we weren't expecting them to probably stay that long. I'm like, all right, good, because <laughs> I didn't let them know that I just took them off because I was mad and yeah, yeah. frustrated. But once they remarked it, they gave me the option for tattoos. Mark the tattoos, so then I don't have to worry about scrubbing too hard or washing, and now the marking's gone. Because you were going to need them to stay for how long? Five weeks? Five weeks. Yeah, so you just opted to have tattoos, that, and you took a shower, you didn't have to worry about rubbing it off or anything like that. Yeah. And it's literally like the nurses did it. It's like a little pen and they just stick on and like tap it in. And it's just a little pin, like the size of a pinhead wow. dot. Wow. I have three of them, one on each hip and then one in the center. Oh, wow. Okay. So they had like lasers in the room. So when I would lay down on the table, they'd roll and move me to get in the correct position. And then it would basically just point 
point and then i just stay there and don't move you said you had to hold some you had to hold i had to hold a ring so my arms weren't move or just kept them out of the way and then you had to stay in that same position for how long it felt like it was about like a good 40 45 minutes and then you had brachy 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 therapy yes so that is like internal radiation so there's the different types. The one that we were really going for that would have treated the cervix as well. Mm-hmm. But they would have put a stud in and she would have done like CTs just to make sure everything was lined up appropriately on the inside. Due to not being able to have that stunt in, we just went with a wand. So it was like on a wood board. They had different sizes that they had to like see what would fit. And, and they'd have my legs in a certain position and put that on in for a trigger point, turn on the radiation and it would beam directly in and nobody was allowed in the room. Um, and they had to actually have another special doctor there um, that would take like a thing and run it over me afterwards to make sure there was no... To sense for radiation. Just Correct. to make sure that you're not like walking around actively giving other people... Like yeah. That. So they had to check and make sure. And then if that was all good, he'd let them know and then the doctor would come in and remove the wand that she placed for the treatment and how long did each of those procedures take that was another like 45 minutes 45 minutes each time yeah how many days out of the five weeks um that was separate that was after the five weeks okay so this was another um it was twice a week okay and i only did it for two weeks okay i only had to do four rounds of that you said the work was very my company was amazing through all of this um they pushed for me when I was putting off going to the doctor to get the tramoxifen and do that. They're like, go, your health is more important than the job. So don't, if they are holding off for this, don't go. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to me when, before I had the procedure on what was, and they're like, okay, we'll set this up. This is that. And when I called and said I had the cancer, everybody was back um, pretty much by April. My office company had everybody back in the offices full time. Following COVID. Following COVID so and you all guys were all you guys were all working from home and then you guys go back to full time. Well, we they gradually we were back um, piece at a time. Piece at a time. And for the last year, we were doing uh, people got to do two days a week from home. Nobody got to do a Monday or Friday because everybody want that, mm-hmm. and then just kind of picked and choose like what days you were, and then um, right as this was starting, they were doing everybody's in and four days in the office and one day from home. And I'm mm. like, well, can I still do the extra day because with the reconstruction process and all of that, this is obviously before I found out I had cancer. Um, they're like, yeah, you're fine. Like whatever you mean. Good. Yeah. And they just kind of assisted you and just made yeah. it. So, it was... so, and then once I got the diagnosis, they're like, you come back when your body's ready. Don't worry about it. I worked from home. Um, I had the option if I wanted to work during my treatment. And I said, yes, because that also gave me a sense of normalcy. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I went to chemo, they came out and brought a company laptop out to me. I still have it because I'm still not full time back in the office. But like I'd go to chemo and I'd work because I'm sitting there for four to five hours. Yeah. Might as well do something Mm -hmm. than just sit sit there and then um, do that even they like rolled their eyes at me for this. Like when I went for my hysterectomy, I brought my work stuff with in the laptop in case I felt up to it and yeah. working. Do you think a work. lot of that though is is the 
the ability to just kind of have a little bit of a distraction in that sense of moving forward. Yes. I think it is like, it would just, it kept, when I would work, my brain wasn't on what I'm going through. Mm-hmm. I had to focus on my work because it's a demanding industry. Yeah. And all that with the import export mm-hmm. and they've been great. I'm still not back full time. Um, in the office i still do one day a week from home if i need to do more i can with the next surgery coming up they're like do what you have to do they asked about recovery and i'm like oh well i can start my surgeries on a friday i'm like i I can work monday they're like you're working from home though you're not coming to the office right i'm like yes i'll work from home (laughs) (laughs) but it sounds like they're very conscious of like yeah give you a little bit of flexibility oh yeah and just been... i have complete flexibility they're not my i'm still getting my job done mm-hmm. so they're not concerned and they've been absolutely supportive even anywhere from like we have the regional manager in our office and he reached out to them and said my direct management team and said reach out to kelly and see what our company can do for her and her family mm. if it's for meals if it's financial support emotional support what can we do? And like, if I wanted to, I could have said, Hey, can people maybe come out? Like, see, I live by CLB. They're like another family. They've been supportive through this. Mm -hmm. Um, and I could have had people let's meet up there. They would have arranged for people to come out and just see. So I'm not can see people if I really wanted them to. So for people that don't know, Crystal Lake Brewing is what CLB is. And it's just kind of, uh, they're, they're very much, uh, community-driven breweries, they try to host events where people come and yes. basically raise money through just social gatherings. Yeah. So and they're kinda, family-oriented, too. Like, yeah. they all know who my kids are. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that should be a proud thing or not. <laughs> well, I mean, it's... I've, I've been by there a few times. I could see how the the local community acts in that in that general area. is pretty great. There are a lot yeah. of good people that are around there. Yeah. So, so it sounds like you had a great reaction from both community and work and your family but you received good news recently you said that you are officially in remission yes i got that the week before i turned 40 okay fantastic yeah couldn't answer about a birthday present yeah that was last week right yes that's fantastic cool so um what what are your next steps like what are your precautionary measures you said you were talking about water you were talking about how you were taking this so platin was my chemo drug yeah um so and that it made was, you really dehydrated and so yeah that was one of their big side effects with that was dehydration okay and they're like you need to drink two to three liters of water a day and that was during use is it still a residual thing or is it just they're i staying... think it is because there's times where like i don't drink and i can tell you feel it yeah so i just try to have to be more conscious i've now got apps on my phone that Ding every so more. often and be like, drink. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that app in the wrong hands could be a problem. People yeah. would be like, let's get out the drinking app and see who you know. Yeah. <laughs> without without water, drinking other things. But yeah, it's, so it's it's uh, you're staying hydrated. What other things are you trying to do to take on you know better better practices, precautionary measures moving forward? Just trying to be more active. Mm-hmm. I wasn't as active before, physically active, not just sitting on the couch doing stuff, getting out. Even just talking about my journey and have, not just holding it in. Would you say that you've you've had conversations with other people that have that are earlier in their journey than you are? 
Have you, have you met anybody yet that has had, because it's still pretty fresh for you, even though you're, yeah. you're kind of in that state of remission. It was still only a year ago. Not even. No, I finished my last treatment was May 19th wow. of this year. So it was a pretty quick process. I had 56 days to get everything done to keep my significant chances of recovery good. Yeah. So you're from start to finish, we're talking about under 10 months. Mm-hmm. And you haven't really had the chance to bump into somebody else who was, you know, there where your January 13th date was when you just found out you yeah. haven't bumped into anybody yet. I haven't yet. But if somebody's out there, they I'm can here. Hear this. Yeah. They can hear this. You can reach out. I well, get what you're going through. <laughs> so there's a lot. I've noticed that with the community. So there's um, coming up. There's a lot of things that people do for fundraisers. There's the the yeah. run. Um, yeah. Do you want to talk about the group, the group of girls that are? Yes. So we have a mutual friend, Lisa, Mm -hmm. who I started talking to her during my mom's journey, just to understand what my mom was going to go through. She's also a survivor of Mm -hmm. breast cancer. She's been a a huge support. So we talk and she's got a breasties group that her and this other girl, Tiffany, put together. And I think it's their third annual pub crawl in downtown Crystal Lake Mm -hmm. coming up that we can go be a part of and it's on the 14th of october and it's the cottage jude's goal line goal line C- cantina tw- uh, 52 yes rookies and then i don't remember this last Le-bemis. one Lebemis. and then it ends up at clb yes Christmas it ends up clb for their after party and, and all of that so most of the time when you go into these things you can kind of order a specific beer or a drink or whatever to to donate for yeah from what i did last year we just ordered what you want and, and i don't know how they just they have it all d- organized and make a contribution of the tab to the to the cause yep and so the best the breasties yes <laughs> yes it's the breasties and there's this is a local chapter there's national chapters too mm-hmm. for it staying active getting the word out raising money raising yeah. awareness I mean, I take it from what I've what I've seen because I when I go to these events, I could see that it's a very strong social connection. Yeah. And so anybody that's going through this and it's newer for them, it's kind of an encouragement for you to yeah reach out. Yeah, reach out because yes, my cancer wasn't breast cancer, but my journey started because of breast cancer. Not everybody knows how that goes. Having like the breasties and Lisa and all of them. To sit there and they understand mm-hmm. what it's like. And they also understand what it's like to go through cancer. Yeah. And having all of that. Not it's, just what it takes on you physically, but it's a mental thing too. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it's uh, you need somebody who's mutually, somebody that's just been there. It feels a little bit more comforting. Yeah. It's People, comforting because you know that they know what you're going through. Yeah. Where like my husband and my friends who... Are very supportive, but they supportive, don't know. But they had, they weren't, they didn't go through cancer. So hearing They're, it from somebody who's like, oh yeah, I remember this feeling. I remember yeah. this thought. And that's just kind of a network that's very priceless. It's good for you to have to lean on. Yeah. I appreciate that you would take the time to record and tell your story. Thank you for taking the time to answer all the questions and oh tell your God. story. Thank you for and doing this. Absolutely. And so we will uh, be out for the pub crawl and try to get other people, if they have any questions, they can reach out to you. Make sure you have that contact info on there. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you.